World War I ace Eddie Rickenbacker once wrote that aviation is proof that given the will, we have the capacity to achieve the impossible. Today's guest, Andrea Cochran Tracy, is leading the effort to preserve and interpret the College Park Aviation Museum, a place that tells that story of conquering the impossible just a few miles from our nation's capital in Prince George's County, Maryland. The museum is a 27,000-square-foot state-of-the-art facility located on the grounds of the world's oldest continually operating airport in College Park, Maryland. The airport was founded in 1909 when Wilbur Wright came here to give flight instruction to the first military aviators. Please make sure your tray table is in the upright and locked position as we fly full speed into the past on this week's episode of PreserveCast. From Preservation Maryland Studios in the historic podcast district of Baltimore, this is PreserveCast. This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast. Today, we are joined by Andrea Cochran Tracy, director of the College Park Aviation Museum. She's brought over 25 years of experience connecting communities through her work at museums, public relations, public programming, events, and historic preservation. Her love of flying and fascination with aviation is a direct result of being the daughter of a Navy-trained pilot who went on to fly commercially with Eastern Airlines for almost 25 years. And we're talking to Andrea live from the College Park Aviation Museum. Andrea, it's a pleasure to have you with us here today on PreserveCast. Well, thank you so much, Nick. It's a pleasure to be on with you today. So, um, you know, we got a little taste for your love of aviation. Um, and it, it's good someone in your position has that because what a fantastic place to be. Um, but what got you into this field um, of museums and preservation and history and aviation and all that good stuff? Um, was it was it from day one you knew you wanted to do this, or what was the route into all of this? Well, uh, one of the favorite family stories that gets circulated frequently about me is the fact that when I was a kid and we would be talking with my parents about, you know, maybe where we were going to go on vacation. And my two requests when they would ask me for some input were always this, that wherever we stayed had a pool and that we could go to a museum. So I clearly got bit by the museum and history bug fairly young. I like to attribute it to the fact perhaps that I also grew up less than a quarter mile away from Mount Vernon. And that was a place we always took visitors and guests and family when they would come for their annual pilgrimage to visit us. So I can't help but think that definitely influenced me uh, to a certain degree. But museums and preservation and history have been something I've enjoyed for a very long time. And so how did you get into all of it? Did you get a degree in this? Um, what was, what was, what did that look like? And then where did you land first? So initially, uh, I started out, my undergraduate degree, um, is in interior design and it was while I was an undergrad at University of North Carolina, Greensboro, that one of our professors had a, I guess you called them elective credit courses 
that was all about historic preservation. And I took that and I was fascinated. And I knew that working in the realm of preservation was definitely a good fit for me. And then I also had the opportunity to um, be accepted to the Preservation Nantucket. And it was through, ironically, the University of Florida, and it was a summer program. And I got to go up and spend a summer on Nantucket. I know it's a hardship, but somebody has to do it. (laughs) But we got to do building documentation and research and an amazing array of speakers were brought up there. Again, not a hard sell to invite a speaker to come up and spend a weekend or a couple days in Nantucket in the summer. And that really exposed me to a wide breadth of what preservation is about, whether you're on the conservation side of things or a conservator or archaeology or an architect or anything in between. So those were sort of my roots. And I also worked at a historic property in Greensboro, uh, interpreting and also working as an assistant to the executive director. And so... Um, how did you end up at the College Park Aviation Museum? Where, how do you go from those sorts of experiences to where you are today? It's a very long and windy road. <laughs> um, however, I, uh, after working in Greensboro, I got the amazing opportunity as a young 20-something to work for a very, very small nonprofit in the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and here I was thrown to the wolves by the executive director. She said, call up the gap and tell them that we have these issues with their applications to the Landmarks Commission in New York City. And so I did. And I got to testify in front of the Landmarks Commission and I had a blast. So that gave me some more hardcore preservation experience. And I went on to work for Historic New England Uh, Society for Preservation of New England Antiquities, for some people who may know it by that name, and managed historic properties in two states. And then I got tired of of seeing all the consultants come in and, and get to do research and explore and do measured drawings. And I decided to sort of switch back to my design roots and worked for an architecture firm in southern Maine that did a lot of historic preservation work. So I got to do everything from conditions assessments to historic structure reports and did that for about five years. And then I realized I really missed the public side of museums and the education component that museums offer. And so I made the the switch back into the museum field and ultimately moved back, returned to Virginia. And here I am at College Park. So tell us all about the College Park Aviation Museum so and, and the College Park Airport. I've been there um, and, and just find it one of the most fascinating places. And what a fantastic story right here in our backyard. But it's not just a, a Maryland story or a Mid-Atlantic story. It really is, if not even a national story, an international story. Tell us about when it was opened and sort of the history of the place, who trained there. Give us the, the, the history of your place. Absolutely. It is a wonderful place, and it is one of the reasons that I do so enjoy working here, because as a museum, to be at a historic site that's an airport and still having it be an active airport 
is just phenomenal. So the College Park Airport was originally founded in 1909 by none other than the Wright brothers. And it came about because uh, Orville and Wilbur Wright had secured America's first government contract to provide aeroplanes, and they spelled it A-E-R-O, planes. And they originally had done their demonstrations at Fort Myer in Virginia. However, the challenge there was that it was over a parade ground that was surrounded by buildings and trees, and upwards of 5,000 people were coming out to watch the trials of the new aeroplane. And once they, the Wright brothers secured the contract, they said, okay, we know as part of the contract we have to teach three military officers how to fly. However, we've got to find another location. This is just too dangerous. So uh, someone went up in a balloon, which I love that. They went up in a balloon to scout out locations, and that is how the College Park Aviation or the airport was discovered in essence. They liked the proximity of the acreage to the train tracks. They needed that as a way to get in materials and people, and the land was generally flat, and it was farmland, so there wasn't a lot of trees. And so that is how the College Park Airport came into being. Um, The acreage was leased by the U.S. Army Signal Corps, and so the first aviators learned how to fly here. When And so this is now the oldest continuously operating airport in the country or the world? It is in the world. And I always love to ask people that because they'll sometimes start with the state and then they go to the, you know, United States and the nation. And we, we always say, no, keep going up. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it is the world's oldest continuously operating airport in the world. And uh, a lot of people ask about 9-11, and they're like, well, wasn't it shut down during 9-11 because of the proximity to the Capitol? Because we're only eight miles from the Capitol. And the explanation is that while general aviation was shut down and they required all the general aviation pilots who had a plane uh, tied down here at the airport, they required them to leave the airport was very busy, uh, as you can probably imagine, with, with police and military activity in those days, weeks, and months following that horrific day. And so the airport was definitely in continuous operation. And now the airport uh, has, I believe we're up to over 1,200 vetted pilots. Um, I say vetted because everything changed after 9-11. Pilots had to get a PIN number and go through a whole background check process. And that has since been very much refined, so it doesn't take nearly as long to get your PIN. And, you know, it's just, it's an incredible place that's surrounded by, you know, development. And yet it's this wonderful, peaceful place. And I, I love it. The airport manager and I will sometimes talk about how at dusk here you really, if you go out on the field and you stand there quietly, you really kind of get this aura and sense sense of, of place and history and, and all that's happened here. And we are getting ready to celebrate one of the big aviation firsts that happened here. 
and that is the birth of the United States Postal Service airmail. And that happened at the College Park Airport as well? Yes. Yes. So 100 years ago, on August 12th, 1918, the United States Postal Service launched its first airmail service utilizing civilian pilots and civilian aircraft. And so uh, we are getting ready to hold a huge celebration next weekend to, to commemorate that occasion. And so kind of going back to the story of this place, and obviously some pretty fantastic things have happened there from the, you know, what you're just saying with the airmail to, I mean, literally the Wright brothers. I mean, you name it, some, some pretty fantastic stories here. Um, it's, it obviously is still opened. Um, was there ever a threat that it was going to be lost? Um, and what's the preservation story here um, in terms of saving this place? I think it's one of those classic, wonderful preservation stories that started in the late 1960s, early 1970s. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, a lot of open space here at an airfield, and there was starting to be a lot of development pressure that you know activity at the airport had declined. And a lot of people felt that there would be a better way to utilize the land. And the ownership of the airport had been sort of passed down through some family hands in terms of managing the airfield and the airport. But they were sort of aging out and, it, you know, the handwriting was on the wall that, that this open space, active space, his very historic place could be potentially gobbled up. And a group of folks came together and created a friends group, saved the airport, and started to do a lot of advocacy work, you know, talking and writing to their senators, their elected officials, their neighbors, to not only educate, but advocate for preserving the airport and, and keeping this as a viable airport. And thankfully, the Maryland National Capital Park and Planning Commission, who is the actually owns both the museum and the airport uh, now, stepped in and said, we will take over this land. We will buy this land and preserve it. And about the same time, the airport was listed on the National Register of Historic Places. And so I think, you know, it was the combination of MNC, PPC stepping in and the efforts of volunteers to get the land and the site on the National Register that definitely led to its being able to have the opportunity to be where we are today, which is continuing as an airport and having a wonderful museum right next door to interpret its history. Which is a good place for me to ask the question, which is, when does the museum come along and what story does that tell? Where Where is that? Um, what can people learn and what can people see there? So the museum started in a small trailer at the far end, the west end of the airfield, right by the railroad tracks in 1982. And, it, you know, it was very limited hours and people, you know, word got out in the aviation community that there was this little tiny, tiny museum and uh, it was not uncommon for people to come by, and when the museum wasn't opened, which it had, as I said, very limited hours, they would just drop stuff off 
outside, which is wonderful, um, except, of course, it's a, a curator and a collection manager's nightmare because you don't know the provenance. But um, that is how the museum began. And then, again, um, another organization was created, another nonprofit, the Field of First Foundation, was created in 1991 with the purpose of helping to raise funds for the museum to hopefully build a new building and also to sort of help continue to get the word out about the airport and its and its significance. And so finally, after many years um, and the Maryland National Capital Park and Planning Commission putting forth a bond, um, the museum building, which exists today, was open to the public in September of 1998. And so we are located along the, the south side of the airport. Um, and the airport and the museum are sort of tucked off Campus Drive, which connects from Kenilworth Avenue over to Route 1 or Baltimore Avenue, uh, where, so we're adjacent to University of Maryland. And a lot of people, I think, still don't know that we're here. And I highly encourage folks to, to come check us out. Well, perhaps uh, this interview will help a little bit in getting people excited about going to see this place. And, and as I mentioned, having been there, I would thoroughly recommend it. It is really cool. Um, what exhibits, programs, anything that you're really proud of? Or, you know, I know you have the, the history of um, airmail coming up, but anything that you've done in the past or some, some uh, projects that you're pretty excited about or, or proud of that have happened there at the museum? I would have to say, I mean, airmail is certainly the one that's foremost on my mind because we've been working on it for almost two years. However, I think our another exhibit that we curated, I guess it's been almost three years ago now, about, we called it Another Field of Firsts, which was about the Kroom airfield that used to exist in, let's see, southeast Prince George's County along the Patuxent River. And it was the first owned or, or managed and operated airport in the state of Maryland that was operated by African-Americans. And we began doing some more research into it and discovered the amazing stories of some of the individuals that were involved in creating that airfield and utilizing it and, and connecting with the community. And so that's something that we're actually looking to make a, a traveling component, offering it perhaps as a smaller traveling exhibit for either smaller museums or libraries or schools that might want to borrow it. And then we are also looking towards reestablishing a permanent exhibit somehow in the museum here that, that captures that story. And we have the lone surviving artifact, which is, at least that we know about at this point, and maybe some folks will come forward after this, which is a gas pump that was part of the airport. And we have it now on view in the gallery, in one portion of the gallery, and uh, we're looking to do some more stabilization work on it. And it will be a central part of our uh, exhibit once we finally get to that point. And I have to ask, because it is it is a, still a working airport, if people come there, I mean, obviously there's the museum experience and they can see planes taking off. I mean, obviously you can see that from the, from the museum right there. But um, are there opportunities to go up in the, uh, up in the great, the great blue in the, in the, in the air? The great, the great blue yonder. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, 
It's a shame. Um, actually, no, not unless you know one of the pilots who, who has a plane here. Although I will say some of the folks who do have their planes um, based here are, are, you know, they're pretty generous folks. And I think, you know, if someone were really excited about going up and happened to be here on a Saturday and happened to find one of those pilots hanging out over at the airport, who knows? They might be able to take someone up. Is that something but, you guys have ever looked at doing? I mean, I imagine the liability and there's a lot of logistics and everything like that. But is that something in the future that perhaps could be on the horizon? It's it's highly, probably highly unlikely due to the fact that we are in what's called the freeze, uh, which is a secure zone that was created post September 11th. And so it is a very much a challenge. We can't offer flight lessons out of the airport. Um, you can't even offer like rides out of the airport, uh, at least at this point. Now, you know, maybe something will change with Homeland Security and the FAA in the future. Uh, however, for for the immediate future, it does not look likely, unfortunately. That's a real challenge. I imagine that that's probably... It is. Yeah. I mean, you know, considering, you know, the, the space that you have there and everything like that, but certainly not a reason to to avoid making a trip out there because it is really just as a, as a fantastic place to see. Um, so what's the future hold for, for the site, for you, for um, this, this field of firsts? Um, you, you mentioned the airmail anniversary. Tell us a little bit about what that is and then and then any other big anniversaries coming up beyond that. So I'll start first with the airmail anniversary. Um, like I said, uh, next weekend we are kicking off our year-long celebration of the airmail centennial. And so we have a, a preview, um, exhibit preview reception on Friday evening, August 10th. And then Saturday is our, uh, August 11th, is our Centennial Celebration Family Day. And we are open free to the public all day. Um, and the event runs from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And we are going to have the United States Postal Service here for their stamp unveiling of the uh, second forever airmail stamp. So we're really excited about that. And do we know what that will look like, or is that a big surprise? We No, we do. Um, And a lot of people ask, well, is it going to say College Park? And unfortunately not. But um, the first forever airmail stamp was released in May of this year at the National Postal Museum downtown. And uh, so that is a blue stamp. I'm actually wearing my pin right now. Um, and I can tell you that the second stamp that they're unveiling on August 11th here is will look like the first one, except it's red. So we are the, the red team. Um, <laughs> but we have over – the Postal Service has told me they have over 200 people signed up to um, come partake in the, the stamp unveiling, and it's open to the public, so anyone can come. You don't have to RSVP. It's just helpful to get a handle on numbers. And we're going to have a couple aircraft in here, um, and specifically we have a Curtis Jenny, which is one of the planes that was used to fly the airmail. And they are flying up from Bowling Green, Kentucky, and it takes them several days. Uh, because it is an old aircraft. Um, and then they will have that aircraft out on display. We have a huge tent that it's going to be under should the weather be bad. And um, they have an exhibit that they bring with them. So the public will have a chance to talk to them. Um, one of the gentlemen who's one of the pilots also flies for United Airlines. 
and he does a lot of work with NASA. I don't know how he gets all of that done in a in his life, but somehow he manages it. So I think it'll be a really fun day. We're going to have some food trucks on site. And then Sunday morning, which is Sunday, August 12th, is the actual anniversary day. And we will be reenacting that flight, that first flight in a Curtis Jenny. And um, the Friends of Jenny, which is who owns the, the flyable Jenny, as we like to call it, will be taking off from College Park about between 7 and 7.30 in the morning and starting their way north to Republic Airfield on Long Island. And that, so that is, the, that is the, the, the original itinerary, I, I presume. Uh, yeah, it's as close as we can get it um, to the original um, itinerary was from College Park. So College Park is actually the one piece that's original. So yay. Yay for us in Maryland. Everybody in Maryland needs to pat themselves on the back. <laughs> um, seriously, I mean, you know, people just have no idea. And this is such a significant site in, in aviation history um, because the, the second stop was in Philadelphia and Bustleton Field, um, and that no longer exists. So they will be doing a flyover, though, kind of near Bustleton and kind of tip their wings as a hello, and then they will land at North Philadelphia, which is the closest they can get. And then from there they will, like I said, go to Republic, which is as close as we can get to where um, the original, it was actually, I love this, it was a racetrack, a horse racing track, um, and it was Belmont racetrack. And so that is now combination of shopping mall and, you know, parking lot. So we'll be going to Republic airfield. Well, this is all great. And yeah, I mean, what a, what a fantastic opportunity coming up for people to really engage with this, this fantastic history and, and and great story. Um, if people want to learn more, they want to find out all the details about what you just mentioned, or they want to come visit some other time, where's the best place for them to find out more information? The best place to go is our website, um, collegeparkaviationmuseum.com. And, of course, they can also call the museum if they you know, want to do that. We're, in, we're at 301-864-6029. And we'll be glad to tell folks about what we've got going on. And we always have different programs for families, for children, for adults. Um, and the, those are on our calendar on our website and we're going to kind of catch our breath after airmail. And then we've got some exciting things in the offing for future exhibits that we still have to sort out. But one of the popular ones that has been recommended is looking at the, how dogs, um, served in the military and were involved in aviation. So we'll sign me up. Goes. I'll be there for that one. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. I know. I know. See, people love dogs, you know, it's just. Dogs and airplanes. What could what dogs could, and airplanes? I what mean, more do you need? Nothing Food. else. So <laughs> let me ask before we go. Most difficult question we ask anyone. Um, it's been all fun oh, no. and games until this point. Favorite oh, no. historic place or site, Andrea? Oh gosh, Nick, this is so unfair. Uh, okay, there is a there is a place in the Adirondacks that my mother discovered in the mid-60s when she was working for the National Park Service. No, it doesn't. No, no, no. And it's called Elk Lake, and it's on Elk Lake, which is in the middle of the um, Adirondack Preserve. A lot of the mountains and, you know, there's a lot of conservation land up there, obviously. And they adapted an old hunting lodge as – and they've maintained, like, the main body of the lodge – you know, big, huge stone fireplace in there. 
And then they've obviously added on a small addition for a dining room for modern amenities and things like that. But it is so incredible because it is so peaceful. You don't get a cell signal. It's fantastic. You can be off the grid and just enjoy the beautiful peace and quiet and and the nature and the buildings. And you can find some of the remnants of their old camps when you do your hikes. Um, so I think I'd probably have to go with that. I think it's a fantastic answer. I think it's it's personal and it's historic and that's everything we're looking for. Yeah. So. Well, Andrea, this has been an absolute pleasure to have you on. So great to hear about all the great work that not only you've done at the College Park Aviation Museum, but but previously, and exciting to hear about everything that's happening there and the great stories that you're telling there. Thank you so much for joining us today and all the good work that you're doing. Well, thank you again for having me, Nick. It was my pleasure, and um, look forward to seeing what Preservation Maryland is up to next. All right. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dive deeper into this week's episode and all previous episodes, visit PreserveCast.org. You can also find us online on Facebook and Twitter at PreserveCast. This episode was supported by the Historic Preservation Education Fund and was produced in Baltimore, Maryland by Rich Grouser. Thanks again for your support and remember, keep on preserving.